to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to continue our ongoing spotlight on student organizations here in the Executive MBA program with an interview with J.B. Norcott and Matthew Boyd. J.B. and Matthew are co-presidents, newly elected for the Black Executive MBA student organization, and recently connected with them to talk more about their backgrounds, how they decided to pursue an MBA, what led them to Darden, and of course, what they have planned for the Black Executive MBA Student Organization, or BIMBA, as it is colloquially known, in the coming year. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with J.B. Norcott and Matthew Boyd. J.B., Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for having us. Great to have you here. Absolutely. Um, so this is an annual tradition. We've had the Black Executive MBA leadership come on. Every time there's new leaders, we have them on the podcast. It's great to have you both here. And we're recording a whole bunch of student organization-focused podcasts over the, the next couple of weeks. Of course, we roll them out. But it's so much fun to catch up with your classmates uh, while you're at this point in the program. So we just had an incredible mid-program celebration on a Saturday night. It's so much fun to celebrate, you know, the, the midpoint, so to speak. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and a great rooftop uh, deck and everything like that. Super happy about that. And got the good weather and everything. It's nice. Yeah. 80 degrees on a roof in Roslyn overlooking all of DC. If you can't sunset. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty nice. Um, can't beat it. Can't beat it. Can, yeah. Cannot beat it. Cannot beat it. And uh, we have started taking that moment in the program to acknowledge, you know, you get to Q5, 5.2, I guess is what y'all were uh, doing this past weekend for our listeners who are wondering, uh, you move through the program in two month quarters. And in the program structure, there's one re- weekend residency uh, and then a second weekend residency in mm-hmm. that, in that quarter. Uh, and so the first weekend residency is known as point one, and then the second weekend residency in that quarter is known as point two. Uh, so JB and Matthew uh, were are currently in quarter five, and they just had quarter five point two weekend residency. So okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's <laughs> let's check in with with y'all. And uh, uh, JB, I'll come to you first. How's everything going? It's going well, Brett. Really going well. I mean, you know, like you said, just got through with. Another intense OGR, some great classes and everything, you know, really looking to move into finals and get through with that. So that's on the horizon here. But otherwise, everything's going good. Yeah, y'all are taking, let me see if I can get these classes right, uh, decision analysis, operations, and you have leading organizations also. And then you have a a new course, what's called Professional Advancement Course 2, that's running right now, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, a busy quarter to be sure. Um, Matthew, and, how, yeah, go oh, ahead. Well, I, I was just going to throw out there that me and Matthew are also taking the other new course offered, the leading or uh, the leadership learning lab uh-huh. uh, offered yeah. by Gabe. So that's another another one. But that's a that absolutely fantastic, phenomenal class. Really been happy to be in that. So that's yeah, heavy course load this this quarter. I'll say that. Oh, well, we'll talk about all of this. Don't worry. We'll come back. We'll come back to that course for sure. Because one of the great things about the podcast is to be able to spotlight uh, courses that people are doing. You know, they might know our listeners might know a bit about the core curriculum, but also curious about the electives. So uh, we'll come back to it. Don't worry. 
Um, Matthew, how are you doing? Actually, Brett, doing pretty well. I mean, um, it's been a busy quarter, honestly, a busy year. Can't I believe we're already in June of 2022, so it's gone by very quickly. But overall, the program's been fantastic so far. Um, and, you know, actually winding up on another uh, round of finals soon. So trying to prep and prepare for finals that are going to be coming up at the end of this week, kind of the final window opens and we have a whole week uh, been able to get through some of those finals that we have and final deliverables. So busy, uh, but overall doing really well. That's great. Um, you're right. Things do not slow down for people while they're in in the program. But, you know, one of the things that's also true is people move through this program pretty quickly. And uh, one of my favorite questions to ask when people kind of get to this point, Q5, Q6, uh, midpoint, so to speak, do you feel like you're about halfway through the program, Matthew? Is that how it feels at this point to you? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm just beginning and I feel like I'm also in the right place. That's what I can say for sure. Just because I think the the program goes by um, pretty quickly overall, just because you're working and juggling multiple different things. I know JB and I both have you know uh, wives and families that you're juggling, um, and then of course you have your full time career, um, and then you also have the executive MBA program. So with all those things kind of juggling uh, one another and trying to prioritize what needs to stay priority and deprioritize other things, it, it's um, definitely been challenging, but at the same time rewarding because of all the, the great learnings and being able to apply many of the things that we learn in the program actually to, you know, what I'm doing in my career currently. Um, so being able to do those things simultaneously has probably been the most enjoyable part of the program so far. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank, thank you for that insight. Uh, feels like you're just only just begun, but also right where you're supposed to be. I like that idea. Um, JB, how, do, how does it feel to you about about a year or so into the program? Oh, man. I, I, at any given moment, it can feel like you've been here 10 months or 10 days or 10 years. Like it's just, it, 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 it is always like a constant, okay, cool. But I, I talked to you. I know I talked to you before, but is that was that a year ago? What was it? Oh, yesterday? It just it just happens. It just happens so quick. And I think I'm I'm at least finally starting to get into a groove. OK, this is how I'm going to prepare for cases. This is what I'm going to do in class. This is what I'm going to say. And then like. Coming to the realization that whatever I plan is going to get blown up pretty much within the first 30 seconds of class every single time. Or man, we kind of mentioned it before. Life doesn't slow down like there is no. Oh, OGR waits for nothing. Life waits for nothing. So every single time we, you know, get into something like, oh, well, I, I was all prepared. It's going to be my best quarter. And oh, my wife is sick. I got to got to take off. Like that kind of thing happens all the time. So it's just unpredictable. But still, I think we I think we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, let's talk about your story. So, JB, tell us a little bit more about who you are, you know, your background, all those kind of good things and, and what you're doing right now work-wise. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, you know, I, I used to say I had a non-traditional path coming to Darden. Um, but then I, I learned, I started meeting everybody. And it's like, well, nobody has a traditional path. All these people are completely different. Like there is no, you do what? Huh? Like, it's, it, I mean, the, the, I'm telling you the amount of people that we meet and all the different walks of life people come through. It's, it's, 
crazy to me. But, um, you know, so I, I coming from a military background, I joined the Air Force right after high school, um, you know, took did that for about six years active duty, two years reserve time. Um, I was a life support and survival specialist. So anything on a plane that you can that, that'll save your life parachutes, oxygen masks, G suits, all that fun stuff. That was, that was me training you how to use them, teach you how to turn a parachute into a tent and live in the woods for 10 days, all that fun stuff. Um, did that for, you know, about eight years, left the air force, uh, went and got my, finished my degree and moved on. So I was a government civilian for a little bit, working in the logistics and it space. Um, this was in Oklahoma after I left uh, after I left Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma Boomer Sooner. Uh, after I left, I went on to uh, went back to D.C. I'm originally from Virginia, um, so moved back to Virginia area to be closer to family uh, with my wife and two children. And uh, somehow found myself in the tech space. Um, so worked as a DOD contractor for a little while, uh, worked in the IT community, supporting the Army. Uh, high-level enterprise IT you know, modernization type work, um, and then over about six months ago now, I actually made a transition uh, into Google. So I'm currently working as a program manager uh, for Google Cloud, uh, primarily supporting their public sector work, state and local government. Um, and I, you know, I, I tell people like it, it is a crazy transition. I, I went from you know, teaching people how to jump out of planes, uh, you know, 10 years ago to now working on some of the, you know, a trillion dollar company building some of the most advanced AI and data analytics platforms in the world. It, it makes no sense to me. I still have no idea how I, how I ended up with this, with this, uh, this crazy path, this transition, but, um, definitely happy, happy to be here. And it's, it's been just such a, a great experience. Well, thank you, JB. And I, I love your point about being a quote-unquote non-traditional student in our executive MBA program. I, I think it's probably fair to say that non-traditional is the traditional uh, student in, in this program. And one of the things I think everybody enjoys is, you know, your background, you know, your experience. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're in a room full of people who have very different backgrounds, very different experiences. And that's very intentional uh, from the admissions committee. And, you know, when we think about putting the class together, we want as much difference as possible. So that is, that is great. Um, all right, Matthew, coming to you next. Tell us your story. Yeah, I mean, similar to JP, I mean, I, I definitely don't have kind of a traditional path either. I think um, um, my path kind of started with me, you know, post uh, graduate school, you know, I have a, a doctoral degree. I'm a pharmacist by training, um, perhaps for a couple of years as a clinical pharmacist in the Lombardi Cancer Center at Georgetown University Hospital. And then I went on to manage a group of pharmacists in the pharmacy service line um, at uh, Parkview Cancer Institute in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, and kind of things were running along really well there. Um, and then kind of in my current role, I, I was recruited to actually come back to the DC area um, by Janssen Pharmaceutical Company um, to help run um, their medical scientific uh, department. Um, and really that kind of focuses on running clinical trials predominantly in the leukemia, lymphoma, myeloid space of cancer care. Um, and I, I kind of cover a, large, a lot of the large academic centers in 
what we call the North Atlantic for our company, but basically covers Delaware down to uh, Virginia and then a little bit of, of um, West Virginia as well. Um, and I, I honestly, I had had my eyes on the Darden program for a period of time. And I actually met with Brett probably starting back in 2016, to tell you the truth. So Brett has seen my face probably more than <laughs> more than some others. Uh, but, you know, and, and when I decided to come back to the D.C. market uh, with Jansen, I spent another year here. And then I was like, OK, I got to get back to a place where I'm going to apply. And for me, you know, the big part of wanting to earn my MBA and and, and uh, had to do with kind of the career, career trajectory I wanted to go on. Um, I looked around and kind of surveyed my field and most of the people that were in the executive level or the leadership roles, you know, many of them had a doctoral degree. So they were MD, MBA, they were PhD, MBA, they were PharmD, MBA, or they just had their MBA. And I understood that, okay, so in order for me to get, you know, make this transition from a scientific expert to a business expert, I'm going to need to ha also have my MBA and, you know, Thankfully, uh, being in the DC market, we have a wealth of riches as far as great MBA programs. And one of the one that kind of stood head and shoulders above all the others, uh, based on kind of, kind of the criteria that I wanted um, was the, the UVA Darden program. Uh, so I had the opportunity to apply to Darden and thankfully uh, was accepted and I had the opportunity to you know, be in this program for now, uh, close to 10, a little bit over 10 months, I guess. Uh, so it's been a fantastic ride and fantastic experience so far. Well, I appreciate that, Matthew. And and you're right. We were engaged for a, a number of years uh, as you consider the program. But if our listeners uh, at home are wondering, is, is that is that unique? Is that different? It really isn't. Honestly, we talk to people about this program many times for a couple of years, two, three years. People kind of drift in and out of the idea of going back to school and pursuing an MBA through an executive format, you know, working while doing this. And typically with where people are in their lives, it's not a it's not a small decision. You've got many stakeholders, you've got folks at work, you have very important people at home, uh, oftentimes kids, uh, maybe a spouse, partner, significant other who's also got a busy job, busy career, and not to mention the other things that you do personally that are important to you. And so just trying to figure out how to make all of this work. It, it can be a little bit of a process. So um, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, where you started to where you are now in, in the program. Uh, we talked around this a little bit earlier about, you know, sometimes you feel right where you are. Sometimes you feel like you just started. And maybe sometimes that's the product of constantly having new classes. Like every, every quarter, every couple of months, you get you get a new class. Sometimes it's the second half of a class that you had previously. Sometimes it's a, a brand new topic you haven't perhaps been exposed to either here at Darden or elsewhere. Um, Matthew, uh, I, I wonder, you know, looking back quarter one, LR1 quarter one to, to now, you know, talk about that experience. How do you feel like you've grown, you've developed during this time? Um, you, you know, I think the biggest thing that from the experience I've had um, is confidence. I, I think um, you, you kind of come into the program and I know that first LR1, I, I definitely overprepared <laughs> uh, thinking that I needed to be the expert in every area or in, in every class. And, and what I would say by now, you know, a couple of things I, I've tried, I, I've become much more comfortable with trusting my learning team to deliver on, on their deliverable. So, you know, our learning team, we split out things based upon 
who wants to kind of take that particular case. Um, and we prepare and we make sure each other is fully prepared regarding notes and other things that we do to make sure we're prepared. But I think from LR1, I was just over-preparing. You know, spend a lot of time trying to read every single case with all the detail and all the background and all that. Now I've, I've kind of become much more to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the case. I may not be able to get to all the supplemental readings, but I'm going to be as prepared as I can be, but I'm, I'm not going to over-prepare anymore because I understand, you know, uh, that I think a lot of the professors kind of have this saying of, if you get 60% there on your own, <laughs> you know, you can come to class and get the other 40% because that's part of the learning process and experience that you're going to receive. And I've become much more comfortable there and confident in that. Um, and, and I've become much more confident in by the time we get to finals week, I'll be in a place that I can do really well in the final two. So being, you know, comfortable and confident, I think those are the two things I've, I've learned from the process. And, and going back to what I stated earlier, which, you know, really has to do with how the curriculum is set up. You know, I think the curriculum is really done very well. So you get introduced to a topic. And now, like, I, I think, Brett, you mentioned that we're in decision analysis. Well, we're in decision analysis, too. We had decision analysis, one. I think that was back in, like, Q2 or Q3. Q1. Okay. I think Brett said Q1. Um, and I mean, we're doing operations too. Well, we had operations one uh, and Q4. So a lot of the, the topics build on each other. So it's great to be able to kind of revisit a topic and builds on each other. And you're like, okay, I've, I've done some of this. Now I understand that we're going to layer something else on top of it, but I've already kind of gotten a lot of the background and being able to have that background and have it build on each other. I think that's uh, kind of the secret sauce with, that's within the program. I appreciate that. And, and many of the students who come here on the podcast and alumni as well talk about confidence as being an area of growth for them during their time in the program. Matthew, why, why do you think that is for you? Um, and I'm just curious because I hear it from so many people. Well, I think, you know, you I, I think for for probably every student, you come in with a a sense of, you know, okay, even in work, most of the people in this program, one, we're high performers. Um, many of us are probably type A type personality. So we're used to being first, we're used to being the top person. So you come in with a certain uh, subset of, you know, preconceived notions, I, I would say, of what you need to present as far as um, being a student at Darden. And what I've come to learn and, and appreciated about the Darden experience is, you know, you bring your experience and you help others learn. Um, so so you, you, I look at our professors as people who guide us through the program, but much of the learning happens with other people talking about their experience, talking about how they apply a, a particular tool within their work process. Um, and then that's part of the learning environment. So you kind of have to take that that mask off of being overconfident, you kind of come in and say, okay, I don't understand this. So this, this is the person that can ass assist me in understanding this. Um, and you, you, what I tell people in the Darden program, this is kind of your, your lowest barrier of what I consider work, meaning you get into this program and none of it, no one has the ability to, you know, quote unquote, fire you. You know, no one has the ability to um, uh, reprimand you. So if you say something wrong or if you say something incorrect, 
this is a low level environment where you could say something wrong and someone's just going to correct you. You move on. You know, you can um, uh, voice an opinion and it might be inaccurate and someone might discuss why it's inaccurate, but no one's going to chastise you or anything else about it. But also it's, a, it's an environment where it, it's for learning. So if you can't practice it in this environment, so if you can't practice it at Darden, especially when it comes to how you lead a team, how you're going to discuss with a team, how are you going to uh, uh, plan out some recourse for your team to write the ship? This is a practice environment to do it. If you can't do it in this environment, um, it's going to be really difficult to practice it in real life when the stakes are high at work. So that's how I look at the program. I think that's how you gain confidence of being able to have that practice and repetition throughout the program that gives you the confidence in what you're doing also at work. I appreciate that point. You know, this is an educational environment. That's one of the things we talk with prospective students about. It does give you a chance to take some risks, uh, to be wrong and have it be, you know, okay, it's just a learning learning process. We had this conversation with some of our class of 2022 members. And one of them on there talked about this progression of feeling like you have to be right all the time to realizing it's okay to be wrong. And being wrong can actually be something that helps move the conversation forward. Just put it out there. Let, you know, let the conversation happen and play out. But don't feel like every time you, you, you have to have all the answers and know everything perfectly. That's, that's not how, how things work. JB, same question for you. Wondering a little bit about, you know, where you started back in LR1 uh, about 10 months ago to where you are now. Uh, what do you see as the growth and development? I mean, I will say I am a little bit the inverse of Matthew, where I may not have been quite as prepared coming in to most classes. That, that was definitely a rough spot for me at the beginning of this. And, and yeah, it's really just a result of you know having the schedule. I had two young kids at home, uh, a very hectic job at the time. I switched jobs. Uh, you know, moving through all of that and you know, really trying to figure out, OK, what is my schedule going to be? And how am I going to plan out when I read these cases or when I meet with my learning team? Uh, it, it's really been you know, one of those big pain points. But at the same time, it's really taught me a lot of that time management uh, side of things and, and really being able to focus on, OK, we're, I'm going to do this at some point, but I got to coordinate really focusing on how, how do I communicate with my learning team on things? How do I communicate with my professors if something is, um, if I need to you know, really get something else done? Um, so that's, I would say biggest growth uh, side of that is, is you know, typical time management uh, coordination and, and really getting that, um, you know, focusing on, okay, we, we've got these 13, 14, 15 cases and really like Matthew said, being able to focus time down into, okay, I can get 60% of this knocked out and really have, you know, a good case conversation and, and really take in uh, from the rest of the class as I, as I go through it. That's, I'd say that's probably the biggest point for me. I appreciate um, that point as well um, about, you know, you only have so much time and you have to figure out what's your biggest priority. Something we've talked a lot about here on the podcast it is not easy for very motivated people to accept that they can't do everything. Um, JP, is that something that you had to wrestle with? Uh, you, you get that right. 
Yeah, you, you definitely get there right. And, and it's it, it is one of those one of those pieces where it's almost a humbling experience, right? Where you you have to come in uh, at all of us, uh, everyone coming into this program, top notch, top caliber people, um, whether it's in their field of work, uh, in their communities, uh, everything. And, you know, it, it is it is really one of those experiences where you have to take a step back and, and kind of do an audit of your life in a sense and go through, okay, every single day, like, where am I kind of, where am I kind of slacking off where I could be adding a little bit of that time in for, for reading or adding a little bit more of that time in for, for family. And I, I, I am also in one of those places where I travel a lot for work and then I might come off a week of travel and hop right into an OGR like OGR 5.2. It just went through. Uh, so that these, these are kind of those things you kind of have to prioritize. Okay. I've done all of this. Now I need to take some time to go back and talk to my wife and my kids and make sure they're doing okay. And actually, you know, moving, uh, moving some, something back into, into the household. Cause that's, that's another thing that, that I really have tried to prioritize and not lose throughout this entire experience is that the people that are supporting us through this, uh, they're just as affected as, as the rest of us are. So that's good advice. You should have those conversations early and before you start the program and often. Uh, certainly once you start the program, it's been, it's been a pretty steady drumbeat here on the podcast for students with families who talk about the fact that they, you know, are meeting, have a family meeting typically at the, the start of a quarter. They say, Hey, what do we have coming up? This is what my schedule is going to look like work, school. Let's get this all planned out. Um, what are our commitments? Where do I have time? And just continuing to check in, um, because you're right, uh, JB, uh, the student is pursuing uh, the the MBA, but in effect, everyone is part uh, of this process because everyone is is affected uh, by the students' participation in, in the program. So, I, I appreciate your sharing sharing both of you sharing all this. Lots of good advice. Thanks for our our listeners to consider. So, let's talk about the Black Executive MBA Student Organization. I was reflecting before we got on this call today. We've had the leadership for every uh, BIMBA board, a Black Executive MBA student organization board here on the podcast since the inception. So this is an annual tradition. Excited to catch up with the two of y'all and hear about what you have in store uh, for this year as you look ahead. But before we get there, some of our listeners may be less familiar with the student organization. Uh, so Matthew, can I come to you? Can you tell us just a little bit more about what uh, the Black Executive MBA student organization or as it's colloquially known, BIMBA is all about? Well, I, th I think, you know, when you think about BIMBA, I think BIMBA is a place for um, diverse students to be able to get together and have a, an environment, what I would consider kind of a safe space to one, you know, have topic discussions, which, you know, may not be able to uh, have the space to be able to have during classes. Um, but also the support system to be able to also connect with others who have a similar possible experience as you, you may have. Um, but once again, it's in a safe space and safe environment where one, you can get the support that you need, but also you can offer the support to others. And as I kind of transitioned from what I would consider you being a first year, and, and now we're kind of, we, we are technically the second years, even though the, the, the second years. The first years haven't started. They won't start until August of this year. 
um, really it's also a place to kind of offer that assistance and guidance for the first years to be able to work through the program too. And some of the challenges that might come up um, through the program and for them to be able to have a sounding board for. So I, I really think it's a, a network and a support system uh, for students of color. Well, thank you for that and for sharing that. And I, I will say um, it's always, as I've talked with past leadership boards, they've really stressed that it's a community within a community. Um, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's a pretty common refrain that I've heard from folks. JB, lots of different ways to spend your limited free time as an executive MBA student, how did you decide that you wanted to be one of the co-presidents for the Black Executive MBA Student Organization? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a great question. And I think, you know, probably Matthew probably has the same feeling here, but we really had some key ideas for what we wanted to do and how we wanted to see Bimba grow and reach out to the community through this. And I, I don't think there's a better way to do that other than taking on a leadership role. Um, yeah, and, and I, I really want to make sure we can leave a lasting impact with this, you know, whether that's in servitude, recruitment, whatever it is, I, I really want to make sure that, you know, we have a, an impact that's going to go down the road in Darden history for, you know, 10, 20 plus years and, and have something that's, that's going to be a lasting, uh, have a lasting impact on, on the school here. Matthew, does that does that resonate with you? What were your reasons for getting involved as one of the co-presidents of Bimbo? <laughs> well, I, well, I you know I I wholeheartedly agree with JB. I think you know for me it's always been kind of like a, 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 a when you get a call for service, you know you have the option. <laughs> you you either say yes or you can bow out. And one of the things that I've tried to do, and I learned this early on when I was completing my graduate school training. And that was, you know, focus on doing one, maybe two things really well versus trying to do many things semi-well. Um, so I've tried to, even with, you know, adding this to my plate of, okay, this will be my one tunnel vision thing that I will do within the program um, is to be a co-president with Bimba. So I'm not, I'm, I'm peripherally involved with our diversity, equity, inclusion uh, initiative, but that's kind of in, in conjunction with BIMBA. Um, so that made a, made a, you know, an appropriate conjunction between the two. But I've really tried to just focus on this one thing and trying to, you know, make sure I'm meeting the needs of the students of color in our program, but also helping with any recruitment and retainment of students of color too. I think that's, you know, if, if we're being honest, that's an area of opportunity for many universities is the retainment portion. So making sure that, you know, we don't lose a student of color because of not having a support network or not having a support system available. So I wanna make sure that we're bridging that gap for our students of color and making sure that they know that they have, you know, one, the support system to, to go to, but also a sounding board and someone that can help advocate for them as well. So I want to give the class of 2023 a lot of credit already having an impact. I want to talk about something that is ongoing, pretty cool project, uh, specifically related to raising awareness about microaggression. So past couple of weekend residencies, there's a wall that's been displayed, different student stories related uh, to microaggressions. And also on the televisions that are all throughout our space, there's different sort of stories or people talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, what it means to them. 
and these kinds of things. And I mean, that's powerful when you walk through the space and you see this, you have the opportunity to educate uh, each other about lived experience. Uh, it's been so great uh, to see that. Um, JB, any, any thoughts on, on this initiative? Yeah, absolutely, Brett. I mean, it, it is one of those, one of those conversations, one of those, those impactful things that kind of taken an extension of the classroom. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've had a few, these, these cases that we go through are not easy stuff. You know, we're, we're talking through, you know, I'll give one example. We read through a case on Uber this weekend where they're going through this terrible work culture, uh, you know, just some totally egregious stuff. And it, it's, it's good to have that hour and a half, hour, 15 minutes to talk through that in class, but people are really feeling things and want to, want to have a, a longer conversation about it outside or have those one-on-one -on -one conversations to kind of tell you, Hey, this is how I feel. This is maybe what I've gone through in that same situation. Uh, and in doing that, I, I think that's, that's really been impactful on the entire cohort. So I think this microaggression wall, um, kind of like you said, like really feeling some of people's lived experiences has been a powerful tool in, in, in helping that. Yeah. The only thing I'll add there, and I think that's, you know, the, the microaggressions idea, and I want to make sure that we give credit to our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion um, uh, uh, vice president, LaShondra Urban, uh, Manuela, um, Jack, Lauren. Um, I'm probably missing out on a couple of people who kind of helped lead that effort to, to actually get um, those microaggressions, one, surveyed from the actual student students, but then also printed and put on the different screens in different places for people to see. So, so to me, it's, it's fantastic work, but I, I also think it provides an opportunity for, you know, some people who would think that, oh, these are small things. Well, I think the, the, the one powerful part about the microaggressions walls is not just the microaggression. There's also, a, you know, why this was, you know, hurtful or impactful for that person who received it. And I think that's what makes the, the microaggressions wall um, impactful uh, for students who may have not even uh, thought that they may have said something's very similar to a colleague or to someone that they were that they were they were close with. It may not even understood the context of how that person could have received it. And I think the continued learning of how we as leaders um, can be able to, one, be allies for, with our, 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 our colleagues and the people that we're leading is an important part of the work we're going to we're, we're doing at Darden to be better leaders overall. You're right that that additional context of this is how it made me feel is mm -hmm. really uh, it, to, to me, that's that's where a lot of the power comes in. Well, one, it's the act itself, right? Putting it out there, having the conversation, but two, giving you that sort of internal monologue that the person was experiencing as this was said to mm -hmm. them. Um, that, I mean, talk about building empathy and putting yourself in another person's shoes, all these things that you have a chance to do in the Darden classroom because the way that you know, the learning experience is, is exactly. structured, right? And I love the fact that um, your class made extra time uh, to talk about the case that JB referenced, right? I was, I was in homeroom when the announcements were made and I think Lauren stood up and said, hey, we're gonna continue the conversation. I felt like there's probably people had a little bit more to share. We're gonna give everybody more time, wanna come for the conversation. 
uh, that's happening. That, it's great to see students making that space outside of the classroom. Yeah, and, and one of the, I think one of the bright spots of that, once again, that was a collaboration between our DEI committee and BIMBA, you know, of, you know, understanding that there is an uh, intersection between the two organizations that, you know, have overlap. Um, but also, I think one of the, one of the big call outs from that was uh, my understanding, because I wasn't at OGR this weekend, unfortunately, I, I had a, a uh, family COVID uh, issues that that we were working through. Thankfully, everyone's doing well. But it was the, the room was standing room only. Uh, so when you have, you know, a hundred and I mean, I think our cohort is hundred and forty plus um, people that you know decide that hey, this is important to me. And 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 these OGRs, your lunches is, is important. Sometimes your lunch is I know for my, me, lunchtime is important because I like to decompress. I like to eat my food. I like to sometimes take a walk, get some fresh air, all those things. And people say, hey, I'm going to spend my lunch hour diving into this case even more and deeper because I think it's that important. Um, I, I think it shows the level of uh, leadership, one, from, from our, our student cohort, but also shows the, the, the level of engagement from our cohort as well on these topics uh, surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I, I, also, I also appreciate that. I did not know it was standing room only. I missed that detail. That is awesome <laughs> to hear. Well, you both you noted that you want to leave an impact um, here, and you're probably, it's a little early uh, in your pr presidencies uh, to talk um, too specifically about what you have in mind, but I'm sure there's some high level, maybe goals that you're thinking about as you look forward to the year ahead. Um, what, what would you highlight along along this line, uh, Matthew? Anything that's that's on your mind? Well, you know, I think one, I think think JB and I have already had the opportunity to align on some things we would like to to occur, and I, I think you know, going back to what we talked about earlier is creating a community. So we're actually going to be we're in the planning stages of of actually getting uh, something on the books for our next on grounds residency to bring a co a group of students together. Uh, specifically our, our students of color together and just have a, a discussion surrounding, okay, what things do you want to see? How can we support our incoming students better? How can we maintain cohesiveness as students of colors to make sure that, that we have um, sounding boards that one of us, you know, each of us needs. Um, I, I know we all, we're also planning to host a speakers bureau where we're going to bring in some some talent from other organizations um, to talk about, you know, not just sponsorship or allyship, but really how do I get into this other industry? How do I make this transition? You know, how, you know, have you been able to navigate and uh, navigate this field that you don't see a lot of African-American or, or Latin talent in um, and, and, and also expect something from us. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'm actually compiling something for Juneteenth that's coming up uh, this coming Sunday, just as some kind of some highlights of these are important things to be thinking about as we think about Juneteenth and why it's important to the African-American uh, community. Um, so I think those are a couple of things I know JB and I have talked about that we would like to accomplish over the next year or so. JB, anything you'd like to add to what Matthew just shared? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and. and yeah, I'd say we have three main uh, pillars of, of kind of what we want to do for the class of 2023. Um, one, re revolving around community service and really giving back to the, the folks in the D.C. area that 
uh, may not have the opportunity to come to Darden and, and sit like this. We, we have to you know, really, I think our first conversation uh, between me and Matthew was really about, hey, I mean, what else can we do uh, to kind of give back to the DC area and make sure that we're, you know, we're involved in the folks that, you know, either look like us or uh, are, are having struggles outside of the, outside of the walls of San Stanley grounds. Like I want to, want to make sure we're really focused on that. Um, and the second would really be uh, on the recruitment and retainment piece that, that Matthew talked about earlier, uh, making sure that I think, you know, for me coming up, I, I would never have thought about a Darden MBA uh, as a young person. And I think that's a, that's a huge deal. I want to make sure, get the word out and make sure people understand that, 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 Hey, this is a possibility for you. You can't, uh, you can't get into this. Um, and then three would, you know, just like Matthew talked about a little bit ago, that community within the community and then really building the bonds of the BIMBA organization and, uh, getting the membership together to, to really talk through some of these, uh, some of these harder conversations and some of the experiences, uh, that we go through. Uh, here at Darden. All right. Well, we'll have to have you back on the podcast to talk about where all this stuff stands, how things are going a little bit further along. Um, Absolutely. I, I have no doubt y'all are going to do great things. So um, we always end with kind of the same last question. I wonder, um, word of advice, something that you would share, encourage them to, to think about. JB, can I, can I come to you first? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it... Um, it goes back to something you said earlier on, Brett, uh, which, would, which would be have those conversations with your loved ones early about the time impact, about the uh, what the reality of the program is going to look like. Have those conversations right now before you get to LR1, uh, before you start the application process. If you're if you're looking for later down the line, uh, really make sure that, you know, hey, th this is going to be a huge time commitment but the rewards that come from it are going to be great. And, and I'm not talking about after you just graduate, I'm talking as soon as you get on grounds and you start meeting some of these people the the I've had some of the most rewarding conversations, experiences just by being with my classmates uh, here at Darden. So I'd say really make sure that you can kind of outline, Hey, this is what the time commitment is going to look like, or at least to, to the best of your ability. Cause you're not going to know, hey, let's get that out there right now. It's going to change. But at, at the same time, like just, just, just make sure, make sure you can, you can at least get some level of, Hey, this is going to take a while, but, but we'll get there. We'll get through. Yeah, you're right. It's always hard to explain to folks. Like I, I can tell you, it might be about 15 hours of work per week on average. And I can tell you these are the classes that you should expect to have in a given week. But what I can't tell you is what this is going to look like in your particular life. And what you also can't know until you begin is how you're going to make all this work and what other things are going to happen. You know, there's there's a there's a we're going to figure this out as we go go along and we're going to figure this out together. Might not be the most comfortable thought, by the way, but that is how it works. So um, trust the trust in that. So, Matthew. A word of advice for our listeners, something something you would share? I, I think JB hit on, you know, the, a very important point. I, I think the only thing I would add is, you know, um, when you're making the decision, you know, understand that, you know, any decision that you make during this program or going through the program, you know, has an impact somewhere down the line. Either you're deferring not to apply right away or 
uh, applying right away and jumping right in, you know, just be fully prepared on that decision um, and, and go into it. And when you start the program, you know, coming in with your full self, try to give, and this is really difficult for many of us, try to give your full self when you're on grounds or when you're in LR1, because those are the opportunities where you're going to be interacting with your classmates and you don't know who you're going to be in the room with. Um, I, I know many classmates already have similar to JB have made transitions in their career um, where that opportunity possibly came from a classmate. I know a, a few classmates that got opportunities handed to them, not handed to them literally, but you know they heard about opportunity you know with a company because of a classmate who said, "Hey, we had this posting, and I know you want to transition into this area. You know, I can I can forge your email or your resume over to the hiring manager." You know, that is part of the Darta network. And, and you think, you know, that, that's possibly a small thing, but for some people, that's a big thing because that's getting their foot in the door to make a transition from, you know, someone who was working on in legislative affairs. Now they're working in uh, work for Amazon in supply chain management. So that's not always the smoothest transition, but they it's able to be done because of that Darta network. So when you're here, on, you know, doing on grounds or doing the LR1, just try to show up at, at, as much as you can to those interactions outside of class, you know, because a lot of some of these conversations are happening, uh, you know, in study groups, but many times they're possibly happening over a glass of wine or at open road or over dinner at a restaurant because a lot of people will set up dinner, dinner, uh, dinners together. That's where those conversations happen. And that's where you're able to build the rapport with your colleagues in order to actually get that opportunity for you. So I would say just make sure you're when you're here, try to show up as much as you can. Well, thank you both for for your advice, Matthew, on, on the point that you just raised there. That's something we say all the time to people. Um, and I'll, I'll just sort of kind of close with this. We get asked a lot about the lodging. Uh, that's included in the cost of the program. We have a number of folks who live in the DC metro area and people are like, do I have to pay for the hotel? I mean, I just live down the street. But what we say to them is like, you should understand how the weekends are designed and just how full the weekends are one uh, from not just the class standpoint, but all the other social stuff. So we talked to, we began this conversation by talking about the mid program celebration. Uh, I walk to and from uh, work every day. I can't tell you how many people on Friday night I pass coming back from dinner or heading to dinner uh, because they're going out to eat with their learning team or with their classmates. I will say the class of 2023 learning teams, y'all do a great job of getting out to eat in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, you should invite your admissions colleagues <laughs> out occasionally because like, I'll try to keep up with y'all. I'm doing a good job. Uh, and then the other thing that I, we always share is like, the relational component of the program, yes, it happens in class, but it's really cemented outside of class. And like, there's only 20 weekend residencies. You got two leadership residencies. You have one or four global residencies, or maybe more than one if you're an EMBA student that wants to travel. But the point is, it goes quickly and you only have so much time. That might sound like a lot of time, but it's really not in the grand scheme of things. So prioritizing the times that you're together, being fully invested. Um, I, I really appreciate that point, Matthew. And JB, I, I take it you would agree. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you both. So great having you here on the show to talk a little bit more about what Bimba has in store 
uh, in the upcoming year. And um, congratulations again for being at the program midpoint, so to speak, and, and best of luck um, in the year ahead with the Black Executive MBA Student Organization. Thanks, Brett. All right, thank you, Brett. And don't worry, your dinner invitation is coming. We got you. It's coming your way. <laughs> and that was my interview with J.B. Norcott and Matthew Boyd, newly elected co-presidents for the Black Executive MBA Student Organization here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.